today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's talk about things a little lighter. Let's talk about, uh, rather than politics and, and the world coming to an end and COVID-19, uh, let's talk about entertainment. And a little later on, we'll even go uh, out of this world and up to the International Space Station as, uh, can you hear the plane? Listen. Can you hear the plane outside my window? All right. Uh, yeah, I'm actually on the 56th floor. No, no. Uh, also talk about uh, space travel once uh, before this half hour is over. Let's bring in Bill Brio, TV critic and author of the blog, uh, TV Feeds My Family, Brio TV. He is with us now. Bill, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing fine, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You know, I love talking to you about late night TV because I've always been a big fan and I know that you are too. And it's been fascinating watching this during the pandemic. And we have talked about this before in how Jimmy Kimmel's doing it and how versus how Stephen Colbert is doing it. But it was fascinating because I was watching Colbert the other night and he had Jerry Seinfeld on. And Jerry, who of course doesn't care who he offends, came right out and said, I watch you every night. I love watching you uh, squeak and squirm and feel so uncomfortable doing what you're doing in front of everybody it just i just think it's hilarious and everything that we have been saying about this he said to his face on the show he goes every time you like you know you're waiting for an audience response that isn't there he goes i just love watching you squirm and it's funny it's the same thing that you and i were talking about way back when but there's jerry saying it right to his face on tv I wish I had seen that. That's hilarious. I think you're right. Seinfeld can say whatever he wants. He's got a hundred billion dollars, uh, and it is fun. And he's right. And that is part of the fun is watching these guys flail and try to pull together a show <clears throat> when they're talking to like a cameraman and four technicians. Yeah. And you really, you really have to have the attitude that you just don't care because if you do, you'll go nuts. And it, you can really see how it is bugging Stephen Colbert. Where, and again, I was a massive, I still am a massive Stephen Colbert fan. I was, I guess. Yeah. Now I found he's gotten real, real personally political, which yeah. you know that's fine. I get it. Uh, but now he seems to be a bit bitter and 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 clearly not happy doing the show. And I, I find Kimmel's. Uh, COVID-19 shows much better than I find Stephen Colbert's. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I uh, watched Kimmel first, and uh, he has, you know, his attitude was always he didn't care about the people in his studio. Yeah. You know, like, it was sort of the reverse. He is He's in a crummy little space, whereas Colbert is in the magnificent Ed Sullivan Theater on Broadway. Uh, so it's, it is a different trip. I've been to tapings in both places, and the Colbert one is quite an event. So it's easy to get pumped up in there and, and easy to miss it, I'm sure, once it's gone. Do you think it's just that he's choosing to do this the wrong way? I mean, obviously he's doing it much like we're doing a home show here. And and Jimmy Kimmel was doing that at the beginning as well. But now he's sort of done a, Kimmel's done like a hybrid thing where it's just like the crew that's in the audience. And it's it's almost like watching the old Letterman shows when his jokes used to bomb. Yeah. There's just nobody laughing to them. But he seems to have... You know, instead of instead of trying to figure out how to reinvent the wheel, he's just let the situation dictate what he does. Yeah, I think he has. That's what I love about Kimmel. He's in the moment. It's live. You can tell he's responding. Uh, Colbert is much more scripted, and and he's too married to that script now. Uh, you yeah. know his reactions and everything, and a lot of it is like watching Carson 
when you know his jokes would bomb, and then the band would start playing like some music, and he would yeah. do a little dance. Yeah, you know, like that was the best part. Yeah, it was the best part. But Colbert doesn't do the dance. You know, like yeah, only Carson yeah. really was able to milk that. Uh, and it is a bit awkward. However, you know, the ratings haven't really suffered for Colbert uh, in Canada. You know, it's a strong draw still at that hour. And uh, so I guess as long as CBS is happy, you know, it, it'll keep going that way. What about Saturday Night Live? How, sh- how difficult is it to do a show like that in this environment? Well, here's an interesting stat. The number one show in Canada, the week it came back, October 3rd it was returned, was Saturday Night Live in terms of the demos. It was number two overall. But here's a show that airs Saturday night at 11.30, and it beat everything else in Canada that night, that week, except an episode of The Masked Singer. But it beat even that in the demo. So uh, people are are roaring back to watch it. I think people are so starved for it, Uh, although I don't think the first two shows were that great. I agree with you 100%, Bill. I was so, as many were, waiting for uh, uh, the the opening with uh, with Trump and 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 Biden and such, played by Jim Carrey, and like cosmetically they looked amazing. But I just didn't think the writing was there. No, the writing you could tell, and then you know they were under a, a disadvantage. That first sketch was you know two days after Trump got COVID, and and yeah. they must have been frantically trying to rewrite and find ways to make it relevant um and you could tell that the writers it, it, they just weren't ready it looked under rehearsed even the cameras weren't ready they were focused on the right person um i thought Kerry did a pretty good biden impersonation but the script wasn't yeah. that funny no, I agree with you 100%. And it was always, and, and you know, and I thought about that because this, this was obviously just a day or two uh, after he had, uh, Donald Trump had been admitted to a hospital. And, you know, this, this show for the whole week obviously is, is a writing frenzy. And, and I'm thinking they must have had a, a meeting about this and said, how do we handle it? Uh, the president's in the hospital. And at the end of the day, I'm sure they all sat around the table and said, it's always funny until someone dies. So you have to go into this thinking, yeah what if the worst happens right and you could tell they just didn't know and they didn't go for it and it was kind of a a, like could tell it was done by committee um so i thought that show was pretty soft i like there's a newer uh, cast member chloe Feynman. she did a hilarious uh drew barrymore impression uh that was closest to the mark but the other thing wrong with the show now scott there's too many people there's 20 cast members so if you're writing you know waiting for your favorite, uh, you may only get 90 seconds of Keenan Thompson or, you know, like you might only get a little Mm. bit of of the the person that you most want to see because there's just too many players. What about uh, a TV in general with shortage of product? Uh, Is there, you know, we're seeing uh, cinemas close. Uh, Obviously, this is due to uh, hot spots and and the pandemic and such. But but what about the production of all of these? And are there movies coming out? Are there TV shows that are being produced during all of this? Yeah, they are. It's slowly coming back in terms of TV. In fact, CBS just announced their starting dates for all their big hour-long dramas. And those are the shows that were really hit the hardest. So NCIS, which has been on forever, but still hugely popular, that's coming back in November as are um, you know, FBI and, and other hour-long dramas that play pretty well in Canada as well. So you're watching, you're seeing ratings for Global in particular way down, uh, but also for CTV and City, all the private networks, 
who rely on those great imported shows, they're at quite a disadvantage right now, except for the reality of game shows they have. And that's why you're seeing The Masked Singer or this new show, I Can See Your Voice. Uh, they're in the top five. So, you know, we've talked, and I think we've touched on this as well. Um, many people talking about what life's going to be like post COVID 19. Then finally, we realized after this was more than just a couple of weeks we could drink ourselves out of that <laughs> life will never be normal coming out the other end. It, it'll be a different version of normal. We've even talked about music and how music will change. Uh, you know, it was very bling oriented, very surface uh, going into the pandemic. And now artists are confined and, and writing and such and and many have discussed how this will change culture and music moving out how will this change tv how will this change what we watch post-covid 19 it's a good question and it's it's not an easy answer i I was just reading about how uh one of the shows coming back later this week is star trek discovery and that's a show that's shot in toronto and it's the third season and you know it's been about a year and a half since anybody's seen an episode it wasn't really delayed by covid they got all the production shot by the end of february so they they got in under the deadline but then in post-production the guy that scores this the orchestration and the music they had to record it in isolation so if you can imagine the composer and conductor on one screen and then you got some guy in new york on the cello and somebody in la on the you know like they literally had to record it it doing it almost like the way saturday night live does comedy and so it slowed things down so they're still trying to keep up with the quality, but that's why shows are being delayed. It's not just the production, it's the post-production. Has COVID-19 changed our appetite, what we crave, what we want? Is the superficial stuff, uh, obviously game shows, things like that do well, but even dramas, and, and are they going to change or tweak how they do things, do you think, as a result of this? I think all our habits have been thrown, right, in in just about every area, and TV viewing is one of them. And I do think that the the way that all the sports came back all at once in August, you had basketball, NHL hockey, and then football finally came in, and baseball, it just messed you up. If you were a sports fan, and you love sports, (laughs) but you don't want it all in the same six weeks. So everything kind of was down. The ratings for NBA, for the Stanley Cup. Imagine the final game of the Stanley Cup hockey playoffs in Canada drew about 800,000 viewers. That would normally be closer to 2.5 million, you know, if it was held in June. So people were just thrown, and and they they weren't really ready for or wanting um, the way things worked out. And you wonder going forward, how will that impact how we watch seasons as they get more restored to their normal times? And I'm, I think it's going to have a negative impact. Bill Brio has been with us, TV critic, and Brio.tv to find out more. Bill, as always, thanks for the time. Happy viewing. Be well. You too, Scott. Quick break here, up into space when we return. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Whenever things get a little too hectic here on uh, planet Earth, we can go up into the stars and take a look at things from from up there and perhaps uh, concentrate and focus on uh, other things other than a pandemic. Paul, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Um, yeah, doing just fine, Scott, and always happy to take you out of this world. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. All right, a couple of things we want to touch on here. One is new visitors to the International Space Station. But first, uh, what about this group, this agreement of nations coming together uh, in regard to uh, to forge ahead with, with the next uh, plan for future space exploration? Yeah, the Artemis Accords. Um, this is something that's been in the works for quite a while. And to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm delighted to see it. it. It's building on what happened with the International Space Station. I mean, as you well know, 16 nations got together in the 90s and since 2000 have had this orbiting outpost. And they've managed terrific cooperation, which I you know, think is the way to plan future space missions to the moon, Mars and beyond. Space exploration is both challenging as well as expensive. And if you can share all of those challenges and uh, pool your expertise, it's got to be the right way to go. And well, now NASA has taken the first steps in formalizing this. And it's the usual cast of players. There's only seven signatories at the moment, but it includes you know, Japan, Canada, Australia, and so on. But you know, seven hopefully will become, this time next year, 70, and uh, all of them with the same basic goals of trying to move forward with space exploration in both a, a positive and peaceful fashion. It seemed uh, during the space race days when this first started, it was one nation against the other. Is it just cost that has brought us together this way? Cost is certainly part of it. I, 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 I think you're naive if you don't believe that. Uh, it, it is expensive. But I think there is also the realization, at least amongst a lot of countries, that the space frontier has got you know, so much potential and so much opportunity and so much challenge that you know, it's not just the purview of one country, that really we all need to be out there moving forward, not just one particular country. Uh, you know, the Outer Space Treaty that the UN crafted in 1967 is getting a little long in the tooth now, and we've had many, many changes, not the least of which are groups like SpaceX, uh, you know, beginning to explore, exploit, uh, the space environment. So you're going to see a lot more of these types of accords. You're going to see a lot more legal commentary about who owns what in the coming days uh, as far as the moon is concerned, let alone you know asteroids and the resources that we find there. We're, we're entering a whole new era, if you will, of, of space exploration and, as I said, space exploitation. That's got to feel uh, positive, considering it seemed we we, we sort of uh, dropped the ball uh, for a few years, and, and it really wasn't a priority. Uh, maybe with this new accord, uh, this will rejuvenate interests in all countries. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, you, you're very polite when you say you drop, we dropped the ball for a few years, a few decades, <laughs> when I would ask you personally. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, moving forward, giving, you know, a framework like this, I mean, let, let's face it, the International Space Station has been a terrific forum and a terrific focal point for nations to be able to, you know, uh, use the space environment for microgravity research, for my, uh, biological research, with groups like Blue Origin and SpaceX, the realization that, you know, private entrepreneurship is now a part of the uh, experience. It's not very long away before space tourism really becomes a significant player in, in low Earth orbit. Uh, you know, Richard Branson and Spaceship Two, another player there. So yes, the world is changing as far as uh, our expectations of space is concerned, and I think it's changing by and large for the better. And I, I'm I'm encouraged by not just the Artemis Accord, but by lots of commentary from organisations around the globe across many many different countries. Uh, what's the objective of this accord? First objective to hit the moon again, be back there. Um, 
I, I guess there are two things here. One, it's to solidify uh, everybody's involvement in going to the moon. Uh, as, as you know, the space race was really, you know, the Soviet Union versus NASA, and there was very little international involvement, some, but not a lot. With the International Space Station, the realization is that we can actually pool our resources. So the Artemis Accords are in part to solidify uh, the individual nation's uh, expectations of each other as they go jointly towards the moon. But it really is to lay the basis for a much broader document with a lot greater involvement around the globe. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, the heritage of space exploration. So hopefully I, that means that you know, you'll leave the Apollo 11 landing site for future generations to marvel at. You're not going to go over there and sort of try and scrap metal the, the module. And so, so space heritage is part of this. Uh, we're talking about the ability for one nation to help another. If you know, you've got an astronaut in distress, if you're in one space station, but the other space station up there, and we're going to have multiple before too long, is in difficulty. You know, there's joint cooperation. So it's a broader focused document than just the moon and Mars. It really is the space environment in its length and breadth. And I, as I say, I hope more nations will sign on to it. And how odd, as you mentioned, U.S. and Russia in the space race back in the 60s, now they're side by side and sitting next to each other on the way to the International Space Station. Well, that's exactly right. Unfortunately, they're not, the, the, the Russians are not a part of the Artemis Accord at the moment, and nor is China. I mean, those are two major players that you really would like to see uh, in this. But you're right, the International Space Station has shown that you know Russia and America can cooperate. In fact, when the astronauts sit side by side, you, you really do recognize camaraderie there. There, there is a warmth between astronauts. Uh, in orbit, and I, I like to think that that can spread beyond just the astronauts' core. Here's hoping. Uh, Paul Delaney has been with us, professor of astronomy, York University, uh, taking us off this planet for a little while to tell us what's going on in the rest of the stratosphere. Paul, thank you for the time, as always. Much appreciated. Be well. You bet. Take care, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.